back to Genesis chapter 3 to stand together for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is after the sin of Adam. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, that is the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you shall return. Then turn with me to Exodus chapter 7. I'll announce each of those texts. We're going to look at the plagues and focus particularly on when the plague comes upon the people. So we begin in Exodus 7:19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the water that were in the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, and the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then chapter 8, 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand over the rod, and rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come upon the land. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. Then verse 16 of the same chapter, 8, 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And then verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water, then say to him, Thus says the Lord God, Let my people go. Or else, if you will not let my people go, I shall send swarms of flies on you and on your servants. And then on in verse, I will keep going with that, on your servants, on your people, and into your houses, the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell that no swarms of lies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow the sign shall be. And then chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. 
For if they refuse to let, if you refuse to let them go, and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle, in the field, and on the horses, and the donkeys, and the camels, and the oxen, and on the sheep, and on a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. And then chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 9 still, um, verse... 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven that they may. I'm sorry, I skipped over the boils. Um, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Take your rod, pour yourself hands full of ash from the furnace, and let Moses scatter toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will come to find dust in all the land of Egypt. And I will cause boils to break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then uh, verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, on every herb of the field throughout all the land. And Moses stretched out his rod from heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darting to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And then in chapter 10, verse 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land and all the hail, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when in the morning the east wind brought the locusts, the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as them, nor shall there be such after them. And they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate of every herb in the land, all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left, so there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants throughout the fields throughout all the land of Egypt. And then finally, verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord God, You are exalted. You humble Yourself to behold things that are in heaven and earth. We praise You that though You are lifted on high, You dwell with those who are lowly lowly at heart. We come humbly. We acknowledge that we see but the edges of Your ways. and the thunder of Your power, who can understand? Grant us the spirit of illumination as Your Word is preached and heard. Give us a heart of understanding as we hear Your Word. Conform us to the image of your beloved Son, that we may walk in his humility, and that we would seek to exalt his name. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
What are the things that we encounter in the world from unbelievers? That is, from those who would declare themselves atheists. They, they speak to us thinking they have some sort of upper hand, some, some argument that would defeat our position. They say, if there is a God who is good and He has all power, then why do bad things happen to good people? It's what philosophers refer to as the problem of evil. Well, the reality is the atheist has no answer. But we have an answer. And it is there in Genesis 3 we find the answer. Because God is not only good and all-powerful, He is also holy and just. And when Adam sinned, God punished Adam's sin. And He visited a curse upon the earth. When we look at these plagues recorded in the book of Exodus, these are manifestations of the curse of God. Certainly they are very concentrated. They're of a a miraculous nature, a supernatural power of God displayed in the degree and the severity that was visited upon Egypt. But we find these same sort of things in a, a much lesser sense even throughout the history of man. There was a distinction made to some of the plagues. You remember the first three plagues fell upon the Egyptians as well as the Hebrews. But from then on, God made a distinction. And so we could see that bad things happen to good people, we'll say. God's people. They were righteous, certainly, amongst the Israelites. But they were all sinners. Even in our day, when bad things happen, tornadoes, hurricanes, and the like, when they happen, good people even God's people are swept up in those things. And yet God is still just. It is because of Adam's sin and God's curse, just curse for sin, that these things are so. We're going to look at God's just curse for sin, the evidence of curse, the curse and the plagues. We're going to consider Jesus Christ, the one who came to remove the curse. And then finally, consider the union with Jesus Christ is the only way to finally escape that curse. So we begin with God's just curse for sin. At the beginning of 2018, we begin making our way through the book of Genesis. We preached through Genesis over those couple of years. And many of you were here then, and you will recall the exposition of Genesis 3. We read a portion of that just moments ago. In the beginning, God created all things in the space of six days and all very good. It was all very good. There was nothing in the creation that had any flaw in it. On the last day, God made man, male and female. He created them after His own image. The man and his wife were without sin. And they enjoyed perfect communion and fellowship with God. Something that we long for in the new heavens and the new earth. God placed that man and his wife in the Garden of Eden And that garden abounded with everything they needed. It lacked nothing. And what they had was more than just sufficient. It was was a rich and full and robust garden. Such beauty and luxury was all around them. Such an abundance of good things. So many trees for them to eat from. But God placed in the middle of the garden one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He commanded Adam that of that tree, He was not to eat. 
This was what is referred to as the probational period, a test for Adam. Would he obey God and keep his commandment? And he was sinless, but he could sin. And as we know, he did sin. God had said in the day that he ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would surely die. You know the story. The serpent came. Satan entering the serpent came to Eve and deceived her. He questioned God's word. He called into question God's good character. And the woman was taken in by Satan and his lies, and she took hold of the fruit, seeing that it was pleasing to the eyes and good for food. She took it and she eat of it, and she gave it to her husband also. And he ate, and they died. God has said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They died. They had transgressed the law of God. They were immediately sinners. And as sinners, they were unrighteous and unholy and lost the fellowship of God that they enjoyed. And they knew this. They understood it. The sweet fellowship that they once enjoyed, now they were frightened and they hid themselves. They made garments of leaves and covered themselves. And they were terrified when God came and approached Adam and Eve had died. An immediate death. Spiritually, they were dead in their trespasses. And of course, we know they went on to die physically as well. Adam had fallen from the estate wherein he was created. And that fall brought mankind, all who have descended from Adam in ordinary sense, but all mankind into an estate of sin and misery. In that, there was the guilt of Adam's first sin and the loss of righteousness, that is, right standing before God, a right to stand before God. Indeed, he couldn't. He hid himself from God. And indeed, the corruption of his whole nature. And that is true for all of us. We read the blessing of the coming one, the seed of the woman. We have often referred to the seed of the woman as we've made our way through the Scriptures. For it is right, because there's that contest between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But that contest now is completed. It is won at Calvary. But even also, God put consequences on Eve. And I want to focus particularly on the curse. Cursed is the ground. In toil you shall eat of it. The work that was given to Adam will now be difficult. The, the creation will be in opposition to him as the thorns and the, the thistles are uh, mentioned here. That there will be difficulty in his pursuits of his activity upon the earth all of his days. Life under the sun will now be difficult. Life living under the curse. That's where we're at. That's where we live today. We toil all our days. By the sweat of our face we get our bread. The earth is against us. It grows thorns and thistles. So we try to get the fruit from the ground. And then finally, we die. And as we are made from the dust, to the dust return. But there was some, so there's something more. There's that final death. When Adam sinned, he died spiritually. But there's a second death that is the eternal death. In the fires of hell for all eternity. For without a Redeemer, all of children's, Adam's children will perish under the wrath of God in a place of utter darkness. Though it is said to be a place that burns with fire, it is also a place of complete darkness. It's a place of unending pain and anguish and everlasting destruction. We are told in the Scriptures that people will gnaw their tongues and long for the least bit of water for relief. 
There are no words to fully communicate the anguishes of hell, the place of God's wrath. It will be forever and ever without end. It is here that the fullness of the wrath of God for sin will be felt. But until that time, day by day, we see the curse for sin. We, we meet with the oppositions, the difficulties of sin because of the curse that is upon creation. And so we are reminded of how it was there in the garden after sin. We are reminded day by day that there is a Creator who is just, and He has justly judged Adam and his children. And so therefore, bad things do happen. God, who is good and all-powerful, sends those things. He orders them according to His sovereign will and good pleasure to accomplish His purpose. For the unbeliever, the curses of God, the opposition, the difficulty, the heartaches, the struggles, the loss in life under the sun are to remind them of sin, to point them of their need for a Redeemer, that they should cry out, God have mercy. And that hearing the Gospel, should they hear the Gospel, you would say would be wise to run to the One who saves. But even to those of us who have run to Christ, yea, more correctly said, have been brought to Christ, drawn by the Holy Spirit, even as we are hidden in Christ, do the curse on the earth go away? Do we not face it? We get disease. We suffer. We have pain. We have losses. Things are difficult. Does that mean that God in Christ has not redeemed us? No. It is still a reminder, even to us, there's a better day coming. There's a day when these things will be lifted from us, when the curse will be taken away, and we will enter into a new heavens and a new earth. But until then, the curse that is evidenced all around us should teach us and remind us of our constant need of our Savior, our constant need to rely upon Him. Well, against this backdrop, I want us to consider the evidence of the curse in the plagues. As I mentioned moments ago, we, we suffer small afflictions all the way down through life. This week I was up underneath the stairs in our condo. There's a, a place where we can store things, and for some strange reason they've blown that, that popcorn stuff on it. And then it's painted, it's very hard and abrasive, and I was under there and slashed my head open on some of it. Just a small thing, inconvenient but painful, drew blood, just a reminder. We still live under the curse. There's still suffering and affliction. You go for a walk in the woods and you scratch by thorns. We plant a garden and we fight to keep the weeds away, right? Gardeners, you know what I'm talking about. There's a constant pursuit of these things. We're surrounded by insects. Some are just annoying. Ants, roaches, silverfish, and others hurt us. Bees and, and wasps. We find that our animals get sick and die. Chickens get bird flu. We've heard about this, and they have to destroy millions of chickens. Farmers go to check on their animals, and they find a disease, or and indeed that many of them are die, have died. We see, thinking about the frogs here, we see infestations of reptiles. Reptiles were brought from other places. I don't know if you know this, but iguanas 
in South Florida, they're taking over, they're destroying the trees and the foliage. It's, it's, it's almost like a plague. There's so many of them. They have no natural predators. And, and then there's the pythons and boa constrictors. They've got two head big for the pet owner, and they just turn them loose into the wild, and particularly in tropical regions. They grow and they grow to extreme sizes. And then there's gators coming out of ponds, eating dogs, and even people, as recent news reports have reminded us. Now, all these things are realities, but they're, they're minor compared to the greater judgment for sin, but they are reminders of the curse for sin. And although small in scale, we see parallels in these to the plagues in Egypt. You know, frogs and lice and flies and diseases on animals where they died. It's as though there's this great concentration by God in His supernatural power to humble Pharaoh and to make himself known that he alone, it says this, he says, I am the Lord of the universe. I order all these things. And we can be thankful that, that, that we don't have plagues of lice in our land. When we encounter such things, they're often small, but nonetheless, manifestations of the curse with Pharaoh experience such severity. Do we not experience sickness, disease? Don't do it right now, but I'm sure if you started counting all your friends and family members that had cancer, it might take more than one hand. It's a terrible disease. Seems like it's always in our conversations. It's a call to mind the, the, the plague of boils, this persistent infestation of the body, the festering and painful thing that it was. And then every year there are severe weather events. Monster thunderstorms build. They make their way across the land. They unleash the power of the earth and hail and lightning and tornadoes. While we were in Michigan a couple weeks ago, the very night we were at the conference, a severe thunderstorm came through and we had tornado warnings. There were six or seven tornadoes went across the land. We saw the aftermath of it. Reminded of the curse for sin. Right now, there's a, a hurricane in the South Atlantic, the Sargosa Sea. I didn't even know there was a thing um, there where the currents kind of block off an area. Hurricane Lee. People are watching it. The concern. We're so aware of how these hurricanes can bring such damage. Skipped over the first plague, that of water turned to blood. Isn't it a reality that you think about the great storms or there's there's this problem? There's either too little water or too much water. And we've heard out in the southwest there was drought and the problems was causing for people and, and for crops and for animals and, and then now you know the great uh, storms have come in and floodwaters and we're hearing of flooding almost every day, even at this time. God sends all these things reminds us of the plagues of hail with its thunderbolts, its lightning strikes, fire from heaven, as it said. Thankfully, our land has not seen a plague of locusts in recent days. We seem to have come up with insecticides and whatnot to control these things, but 
back in the late 1800s, it was not uncommon for locusts to go through great areas of the Midwest and just destroy everything. And even in parts of Asia, South Asia, there's still plagues of locusts that they come on the winds and they settle over the land and eat every green thing. All these curses remind us of Adam's sin. That we are sinners and the curse for sin is upon us. And so it was for, should have been for Pharaoh that all of these plagues upon his land should have reminded him that he was not God, though he claimed to be God, and that he was a sinner and God was manifesting his curse on sin. I hope that every time you see these events, whether you hear of a plague of sickness, a, a, a pandemic, um, weather catastrophes, we used to call them acts of God, we still should call them acts of God, that you, as a people of the book, God's people, remember, Adam sinned, and there's a curse for sin. Praise God that I am hidden in Christ, that the second Adam is my Redeemer, and that though I may even be afflicted in these things, my eternal security is in Christ, and I will dwell in the new heavens, the new earth, without wrath or without plague, without sorrow or, or weeping or sighing. All will be gone. But as long as we dwell, as Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes, in this life under the sun, there are these vanities, frustrations, difficulties. In these things, as we said earlier in the book of Exodus, God is making Himself known. He is a set of people uh, through uh, the, the famine in the days of Joseph. He has brought His people into Egypt. And there He has blessed them. And in Egypt that once knew Joseph, and, and perhaps we could say the God of Joseph has forgotten Joseph and forgotten the God of Joseph. Hundreds of years have gone by and they've oppressed God's people. And now God is coming to remind them He is God. He is the Sovereign over all the land. And my friends, it terrifies me to think of the arrogance in our own land uh, as a culture of a people in a place that we are so indifferent to God. We mock God. There's such a proclamation, there is no God. And we see those in, in high levels of government and authority who think they are God. Could it not be that we need plagues from God's hand to remind us that He is God and that we are sinners and that there's a curse for sin which reminds us of a coming wrath? And indeed, we're seeing such things. All through my life, there's been catastrophic events. Again and again, constant reminders, surely not like the plagues of Egypt, but nonetheless, something of a smaller scale. For God is merciful. But would, if, if we had something like the plagues of Egypt fall on our land, would it make a difference? Look at Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. Again, he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And then God hardened his heart. Perhaps we dwell amongst the people whose hearts are hardened. The last plague was darkness. And when I preached on that three weeks ago, we were reminded that in the Scriptures, through the prophets, darkness was a... Uh, an allegory or a metaphor, an image of God's wrath, His judgment that would be visited upon a people. 
Indeed, the great and terrible day of the Lord when Jesus comes again will be a day of darkness. So much so that the ungodly, those who are not hidden in Christ, will cry out to the mountains and to the rocks to fall on them. That is, to bury them, to hide them from the the brilliance and the, the holy and the splendor of God as He makes Himself known even to the ungodly in unapproachable light. The book of Revelation, some of you will be familiar with this. We read of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. These also serve to remind man that God alone reigns from above and that all that happens on the face of the earth is decreed by God. We find the seals in Revelation 6 and 8. We find trumpets in Revelation 8 9 and again in chapter 11. And then we find the bowls poured out in chapter 16 with the opening of the seals or the blast upon the trumpet or the pouring out of the bowls upon the earth. What, what are the things that happen? What do we see? What is, what is recorded in Revelation? Boils. Water turned to blood. Water's dried up. Great number of animals dying. Even a third of all the animals. Trees and plants destroyed. Earthquakes. Wars. Bloodshed. Famines. Plagues of mass destruction. And cosmic turmoil. What's the point of Revelation? That message. They all come from God above. And the book was written to be a comfort to God's people. That as they were about to experience uh, national turmoil, upheaval, that is the coming of the destruction of the nation of Israel in 70 A.D., that God would have His people to know everything, even that thing, is decreed from heaven. It comes from the throne of God, from the very hand of God. And so we find in Exodus, all the way at the end of the book, of the Bible in Revelation, that these things are from on high. You find it through the prophets of the Old Testament as well. As they speak of such plagues and pestilence that manifest the curse for sin. All leading to, all pointing to, and culminating in the great day when Christ shall appear. And men will long to be hidden in darkness. And so, before we move on, let us remember this. When we read of calamity and destruction, let us as God's people be comforted, knowing that Christ is King. Our King, even Christ who redeemed us, is on His throne. And though we may see friends and loved ones swept away, and whatever comes along, we're secure in Christ. Secure. Absolutely, completely, eternally secure in Christ. Nothing will come our way but what the Father knows is best. Adversity and affliction that we experience, the manifestations of the curse for Adam's sin are for our good. God uses them for our growth in grace. They're they're applied for our growth in holiness, sanctification as it is called. Teaching us to cling to Christ more fully and have done with the things of this world and hold them more loosely. They fall upon men and they, they shake their face, their fist against God even as He's making Himself known. Can we say that calamities, adversity that comes for the curse for sin are mercies to point men 
the one who reigns on high. But thirdly, we want to consider Jesus Christ, the one who came to remove the curse. God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven. He came born of a woman. He was made under the law. And Jesus came into a world, this world, cursed for sin. His curse as the Son of God on the world that He came into. He, then, the Son of Man, fully man, living as man, under the curse, under the law. And He lived all His days on this earth. All His earthly days on earth were under the curse. Jesus knows the realities of living in a sin-cursed world. We must remember that though He was fully God, He was fully man, and experienced life under the sun just as we do. He also worked and toiled. He had sweat on His brow. His body could be hurt. He could have blisters on His hands as He labored with His hands. We find in the Gospels that He grows weary, that He is hungry and thirsty. He needs to rest. Manifestations that He is fully human. He is one with us. And He entered into our world to experience what we experience. And as He lived in that, He was tempted in all ways like as we are. Tempted that you know, with a blow to the hand as working in the carpenter shop, that was the case. That He would have been tempted for some expletive. And yet He did not. He did not sin. Because there was no sin in Him. Living under the curse. So the writer of the Hebrews celebrate, we have a great high priest who's of our humanity. And he understands. But there's something more to it. As the Holy One of God, He experienced suffering and the realities of the curse for sin in ways that we cannot understand. He saw with pure eyes all the injustices in this world. You think about the woman in John 8 who was caught in adultery and brought to Him by men filled with malice. Not only did He see the woman in in her sin and have compassion for her, He saw these bigoted, arrogant Pharisees who saw themselves as self-righteous and the conflict in these two sets of individuals. He saw it away and it was suffering that we don't understand. Remember how He was moved at the tomb of Lazarus. I cried out, understanding more than all those who were assembled, more than Mary and Martha, the loss and, and death. He who is the Lord of life, who came to bring life in, in, the, in the grip of the reality, and one that He loved as a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, loving Lazarus, His friend, in the anguish more than we know, crying out with a great groan to God for these realities. That is what he experienced every day as he lived here on the earth. Here he was, the light of the world, with the glory of the Son of God, and yet that glory veiled by his humanity. And then when Jesus' hour had come, what was it that happened to him? They led him away to a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there he was nailed to a Roman cross and then lifted up before heaven and earth, fulfilling what the Scriptures is cursed as anyone who hangs on a tree. He who was sinless came into a sin-cursed world, and then on the cross He was 
cursed for sin. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel. The 23rd chapter. The 26th verse. Now as they led him away, they lay hold of a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him. And women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things to the greenwood, what will be done to the dry, in the dry? There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know, do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanging, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save us in yourself. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, As surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. And having said this, He breathed His last. He who knew no sin became sin. And He bore the wrath of God for our sin. It was there that He was cursed to remove the curse. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to the very dregs. What that means, children, is as wine settles, there would be particles on the bottom, and they would in the bottom of the cup, and they're often bitter and off flavor. He drank the cup of God's wrath even down to the dregs. That is to say, all of it. He endured all of it. And so great was that wrath of God that we see what Luke records here, that there was darkness over all the earth, a darkness that was foreshadowed even in the, the plague of darkness in Egypt. A darkness that could be felt that endured for three days. This darkness for three hours. And a greater thing was happening here. The Son of God, the light of the world, hung, condemned, guilty with our sins. He hung receiving the wrath of God. And there He died. 
And you see the manifestation of the wrath of God, the judgment of God, with the darkness that was over the earth. Jesus descended into Hades. As the Son of Man, Jesus the Man was forsaken by God. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? In His deity, there was no change in His relationship to the Father. But in His humanity, He was forsaken. It's interesting, if you look at the Psalms, you you hear expressions of the Son of Man, the, the servant of the Lord, that is Jesus Christ, express His faith in God. That Jesus, as man, had faith in God. His hope was in God. As He gave up Himself, His faith was in God, knowing that God had told Him that He gave Him power to lay down His life and take it up again. And yet, He suffered and died. Sin has a consequence. In this life, we see the curse for sin. We suffer. All men suffer. All through the generations, men have suffered afflictions and sorrows and loss and hardships and disease and ultimately death because of sin. But Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And in order to save sinners, He entered into the darkness of God's wrath. More than what happened in Egypt. He was utterly forsaken. But the story doesn't end there. Hallelujah. Christ arose. On that third morning, even as He had told His disciples, He arose again. The Father raised Him. He raised Himself. The Holy Spirit raised Him. The Trinity at work in all of this. Christ came forth from the grave, triumphant over sin, death, and the grave, having crushed the serpent's head with His heel, though He was bruised. He was only bruised. Jesus rose the victor. He triumphed. And He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And my friends, even now, at the right hand of the Father, He makes intercession for us, for His people. For where do we still live? On the earth. A place still with a curse for sin upon it. We suffer and we're afflicted. But we have hope. We have a blessed hope. Because we have one at the right hand of the Father who ever pleads for us. He has undergone such unimaginable suffering and affliction and pain, the wrath of God, so that we will never know it. If you are hidden in Christ, you will never know that darkness of the wrath of God. Because Christ stood in your place. It's interesting how the Puritans put it. He entered into your room. He went into a room where you belong, where we belong. He underwent and partook of all that was in that, in that place. He endured it so that we are delivered from it. This is the good news, the gospel. Do you believe this? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. For his end is sure. I'm not quoting the hymn perfectly, but... What is it that we sing? One little word shall fell him. Christ, I believe, will speak the word of God. He will say, go. And Satan will forever be banished to hell. 
Union with Christ, then, is the only way to finally escape the curse that we dwell in, life under the sun. Does our life here under the sun get weary? Read the Song of Solomon, not Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Solomon, Solomon talks about that. The, the, the vanities of life under the sun. Uh, the word means something like trying to grasp the morning fog, something that's difficult to grasp. Do you see daily proofs in your life of the curse for sin? And does it stir you up to long for something better, to long for something more? Well, indeed, there is a better world to come. The new heavens and the new earth are coming when Jesus comes again. But best of all, it's not streets paved with gold. It's not you know, the, the, the 12 trees by the rivers of living water. The best of all that is in heaven is Christ. For when we see him, we shall be like him. That is to say, we will, yes, be resurrected. We'll have new bodies. We'll be fully glorified. And we will be free from sin and free from the ability to sin. We will be free from the curse of sin, but we will be like him. We will see him as he is. My friends, if you would be prepared for that day when Jesus comes again, then you must be found united to Christ. There's no other hope. And indeed, while you live here on the earth, there's no other way to live but to be united to Christ. To be prepared for His coming again, you must be joined to Christ. As Paul celebrates in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. That's a death. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live live by faith, the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. That's the hope of those united to Christ. Sinners united to Jesus by faith alone. Believers who have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. For Jesus has said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Actually, that's Paul, Christ speaking through Paul. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called Little ones, children, you hear these things. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Do you believe that indeed God's promise is salvation for you? Jesus has said that all who come to me, I will by no means cast out. It's a wonderful Puritan paperback that focuses on that text. Come and welcome to Jesus I hope now in conclusion that from now on, whenever you see proof of a curse for sin, that you will rejoice that Jesus Christ has already won the battle. He's already defeated it all. And that he's reigning at the right hand of the Father. And that you can rest in him day by day. Whatsoever comes to pass, whate'er my God ordains is right. We can rest in that. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we do look to you as we live our life under the sun, as we dwell here below, that you would be merciful to us and uphold us, that whatever you have appointed for us, Lord, that you would also appoint the fullness of your grace, that you pour out your spirit within us to sustain us, so that we may live for your glory. Father, what can we say? What words are that, that we can take up upon our lips to to declare the the joy and the blessing and the wonder 
of a risen Savior, the, the Son of God who has given Himself for sinners. No man could have managed it. No man could have accomplished it. But you, O oh God, decreed it from before the foundation of the earth. Christ, in Him crucified, the only hope of glory. Father, we are grateful to know that we will have all eternity to sing His praises. And that is a time too short when we consider the majesty of Jesus Christ who entered into death in order to bring life to those who were dead and bring them living to the living Father of heaven. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.